Yellow, yellow. Hello. Hello. Is this thing on? (laughs) Is that the beginning of a Britney Spears song? (laughs) I don't know. (laughs) She's like, is this thing on? You don't oh yes yes also there's a conspiracy theory going around that she um is not alive and that the person is like a stunt double <laughs> <laughs> the conspiracies are crazy with Britney Spears but oh my gosh are you serious I, I mean yeah it's a whole wow. rabbit hole it's a whole rabbit hole I mean I still just can't believe that happened and who knows I guess we will never really know the truth these days there's exactly there's a lot but that's interesting. No, I didn't hear that. <laughs> well, yep. TikTok. TikTok. I'm not on the TikTok. I know. I only go on for my, like, I'll go on a couple times a month. And when I'm on, I'm not off. That's like my life. And so I don't go on yeah. because there is no off and on with TikTok. It's so wild. Ah. <sighs> I was on TikTok in 2020, you know, pandemic. And I was like bored and did not know what to do with myself. And my mom and I were, I told you this, I mean, 2020 was such a great year for me, but (laughs) mainly because (laughs) my mom and I were learning TikTok dances in our living room (laughs) and I cringe Gabby. I cringe (laughs) when I look back at my TikTok videos, I'm like mouth jaw on the ground. (laughs) Like I'm just like repulsed, (laughs) but also like, it is so fucking cute. Like I, I don't know how I had the balls to do that. <laughs> so funny. Well, you dance. I can totally see you doing it because you dance in real life and like love to dance. But I was like I, dancing yeah. to like some really like, or like horrible shit. And my mom was there in the background in the kitchen, just like supporting me, like being one of those moms. <laughs> cheerleader. Like <a> cheerleader. <laughs> and I'm That's thinking, hilarious. Like, how are you letting your daughter do this? Yeah. I guess I'm like, I'm not like 10 years old. I'm a grown woman. But right. So funny. Uh, anyway. Yeah. TikTok. I'm, I think I, I, I don't get on it because I'm like afraid of not being able to get off of it. Exactly. I'm so intrigued by people's stories, like their life story. And that's what my feed is. It's like today and they go down this whole story and I love that shit. And so that it's so hard to not get dragged in and then I find myself feeling these like anxious feelings because I'm not able my nervous system isn't able to discern between my life and these people's lives (laughs) and and that this didn't actually happen to me it happened to them and that's when I know it's time to exit the TikTok (laughs) world (laughs) it's time to exit (laughs) yeah no I can only imagine and it also like I think there's a level of like relating you know maybe there's Mm -hmm. an empathy an empathy like all of that it's so human but I think those social media platforms even Instagram like yeah are designed to just suck you in suck you dry I should say (laughs) (laughs) exactly (laughs) I've had a really hard time like there have been moments since getting back on social media. I'm just like, wow, what the hell? Like it's, it's hard to put the phone down. I think I was listening to a podcast episode on this and there's, there's like such a dopamine hit that when you're not receiving that much dopamine, like subconsciously you stay on because you don't want to feel pain. And I guess that kind of makes sense. Like Mm -hmm. if there is underlying pain and if we are avoiding course that doesn't want to be felt unless we're conscious and aware of it and intentionally make space for it. But, um, 
yeah, it's, it's, it's a whole world out there in social media realms. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it, it is. And I think that we both have, when we were off, we were both getting into just feeling a lot of things that didn't have the space. Um, I think you maybe more even than me um, during that time of being off social media, but we both were there and that's something that's related to the podcast episode today. So um, I've been dabbling in microdosing Mm -hmm. and it, for me, mushrooms have always been, I've had a great relationship with them and it's something that I was scared of before. Um, but I honestly just, I don't, I, this is going to sound so new age, but I just don't really consider them a drug, um, more of a connection with the earth and so naturally forming. I'm trying to not have these words come out. Like I'm a, it's like classic, like drug addict. (laughs) (laughs) It's not a drug, it's an experience. I'm laughing because it's, that's exactly what I say to people who are like, they try to bash my my mushrooms and I'm like it's not they're not drugs it's medicine okay it's medicine (laughs) it's sacred medicine from the earth it's medicine from the earth I use it ceremonially I don't use it to go out and party and Mm -mm. get super fucked up like that's not it's actually I see that as a disservice and a disrespect a disservice to yourself and a disrespect to the plant medicine um and if you want to learn more about that, how to change your mind. Did you ever watch that? I know I told no, you to watch I it. I know you told me about it. I think that I, I didn't, I'm not great at TV, but I'm really trying to be better. No, like keep it <laughs> that, that was way. one of my New Year's resolutions one year. <laughs> be better with TV. Be able to watch a whole episode without getting up. That was, <laughs> and then I really dove in. Um, but yeah, that's how I feel too. And I actually did do them one time before going out and I don't really go out often. So I was like, let me just take some mushrooms instead of drink since I don't drink really. And I was just like looking around with wide eyes, like, wow, I'm so aware. I'm so aware. <laughs> <laughs> you see past the illusion. What is happening? <laughs> yeah, exactly. So yeah, but the microdosing has been really interesting because they're in capsules and each time is a different experience, no matter how many you take. And that's really interesting versus knowing, and it's mixed with other things like lion's mane and things like that. Um, and so sometimes I really am zoned in and other times I don't quite feel it and I wonder if that one someone brought up to me recently that there's different parts of the mushroom that have different um, potencies and strains and things like that but then also if it's really just also spiritually what my body needs at that time and it's been interesting I haven't felt the call to do it this week or I think the week before even maybe but um I think that's important. I think what you just said is really important. Like, I I think I've told you, like I've experienced like resistance towards even taking them sometimes because I just don't feel that I'm not going to force it. Even though like, I love mushrooms. I think they're Mm -hmm. great. 
Amazing. Honestly, my favorite, uh, plant medicine ever. Um, but I'm not going to force something that my body is having like an adverse reaction to. So always following the body's lead. Exactly. And it can be really deep. It can be a really deep experience. And, Mm -hmm. um, if you're needing more safety and not unpredictable energy, then it just might not be a great time. So always take caution and really check in. We're not telling you and advising everyone to go microdose. (laughs) Oh yeah, absolutely not. I think the preparation and the integration is important. I think maybe too, that has felt a little off for me lately. And so I think my body knows, like, I don't think we're ready for everything that may surface. Um, when I am like in a deep, um, psychedelic state with the mushrooms. So exactly. Exactly. Yes. Michael talks about Michael Angel. He's our guest on today's episode. Um, he talks about microdosing and also just plant medicine in general and how he uses that ceremonially with his brothers and how that brings him closer together and in sacred union with the earth and also, yeah, brotherhood, which is a huge factor in establishing a solid foundation for the masculine essence within. Um how did he refer to tobacco? It was like Papa, Papa. Oh my God. Mm. I'm going to fuck it up. I'm so sorry, <laughs> Michael, if you're listening to this. <laughs> Grandpapa. Grandpapa. Yes. yes Grandpapa. Yes, yes. Yeah. Yeah. That's tobacco. And so, I mean, he said it like, how often do you see men gathering and smoking cigars together? And that is kind of like how brotherhood is built. And they just sit around not talking um, crap about women, but just kind of like holding each other in each other's experience and just kind of shooting the shit and doing, doing guy stuff. Right. And tobacco can be so ceremonial too. So Mm -hmm. we're not talking about like um, Mm man-made mixed with all of these carcinogens and things like that, but it's coming back to what was this originally before we backed it up. Yeah. Literally. So we are so excited to share today's episode with Michael. He is a functional diagnostic nutrition practitioner who also combines Ayurveda into his and spirituality into his practice. And through his own suffering, he has learned how to heal and help others overcome digestive issues, mold, anxiety, fatigue, and so much more. His formal studies in psychology and personal exploration with yoga, plant medicines, and psychedelics have made him particularly skilled at uncovering the mental and emotional blocks that prevent people from healing. His scientific mind and open heart make him a wealth of knowledge and a joy to listen to. So we hope you enjoy today's episode. Let us know what you think by leaving leaving us a review, and we'll talk to you guys after. So how's Northern California treating you? Uh, we're in like the midst of a rainstorm right now and it's supposed to snow on like Sunday, Monday. So it's super wet and cold. Oh. Well, I love the snow and I, I know you love like chopping wood and putting your, your fires on and stuff, right? <laughs> Definitely. Where are you guys? I'm in Maryland and actually Gabby's like really close to me right now. She's in um, Virginia, like about an hour away from me. So might be seeing her this weekend. Um, yeah. It's like warm ish, like warmer than I guess what it would typically be in early December. Um, I think it was like almost close to 60 this past week for a couple wow. days. So really nice. But I know 
it's going to drop. <laughs> it's going to be frigid, but Hey, I'm just like, so I was talking to my practitioner this morning. It was snowing in Canada and she, she was like, there's just something so quiet and still about being in the snow. And I'm really excited for that feeling. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. Especially mm-hmm. when you live in the woods, especially when you live in the woods that I'm envious of. I tell you that. How does time. that feel? Like, is there ever a time where obviously there's like solitude, but do you get lonely? No, I love loneliness. Um, okay. I love my solitude. I just think I'm such a sensitive soul that it's like really nice for me just to have space from lots of people. Um, but yeah, I'll get lonely and I created such an awesome community here. Yeah, you have. That's kind of like one of my strong suits is like bringing people together. And so, yeah, I just bring them to me. So like, this is like the house where we all gather and do stuff. So I really, I don't even have to leave the house very often. Um, so I just kind of created my own little sanctuary. That's pretty dope. And Lucy, Lucille. Yeah, Lucille's yeah. sleeping in a messy bed over there. Yeah. Oh my but God. she'll like literally start. To, so I have a hairless cat and um, she'll start to grow fur on her tail and on her feet and on her no butt way. when it starts to get cold so oh my gosh that's Isn't so that cool so amazing how the body just kind of like works with whatever is in your external environment to protect itself yeah so my mind as soon as we schedule this podcast my mind already starts to like piece together what I'm going to say like you know <laughs> what we're going to talk about and the thing that came to me in the shower this morning is like the body's so adaptive. And I was thinking about the context of women with PCOS and how they exhibit a lot of like testosterone manly features. Um, and you can look at that from hormones, like the androgens and things like that. But what I noticed nine times out of 10 is these women are living hyper-masculine lifestyles. And then as a result, they start to grow facial hair. They start to have more manly features and like creates a problem with the female body, just as a result of the way that they're living their lifestyle. So it's almost like an adaptation that from the body to like adapt to this way of living because they probably didn't have a strong masculine in their role. So they had to make this adaptation in their life to adapt these manly features. And then it starts to affect their health because that's not like the default that their body prefers to live in. Yeah. That's really fascinating. Yeah. To think about. Yeah. The hyper-masculine lives. I think that's such a light bulb moment for a lot of the women that we work with. The the linear way of living in today's modern society does not work in harmony with our cyclical nature as female feminine beings. And it really is like this. I mean, just speaking from my own experience, it is a huge relearning. It's not easy to kind of let go of the old constructs and stuff, especially if you're, you still have to work. Mm-hmm. You still have to like, um, raise a family say, and then you don't have like a village to help you raise that family. Like we used to mm-hmm. you know, things like that, that are there and, and not able to be changed in that moment in time. So what is, I'm assuming you work with clients who have PCOS. What are your recommendations? Like, where do you start with them? Yeah, I always start to look at like what the male figure in their life is for them. Like, are they in a relationship? Um, What's their relationship with their father? And like typically through probing in that, they start to like immediately start to cry and they start to open up that they don't feel supported. Their husband works really long hours and comes home and isn't like emotionally available 
So they adapt that type of response to like fill in the masculine role for their kids, for their self, because they don't have that masculine figure to rely on. And so like really the, the key and the core wound is that. And then working with the relationships. I, I started getting into this work thinking I was going to be a marriage and family therapist when I went to college. And I got steered in the opposite direction on my like sophomore year in college. And I um, did a senior seminar course called Visualization in Psychology. I just thought it sounded cool compared to all the other options. It does. And then, yeah. And so didn't know anything about it. And in walks the teacher and immediately everybody got quiet. It was like this guy commanded the tension in the room and immediately he goes, okay, this class is called Visualization in Psychology. I imagine most of you don't know what this is. As a good introduction for me to you and you to me, I want you to do, I'm going to go in reverse alphabetical order and call your name. And when you do say that you're present and you're here, and then tell me what you want to do with your psychology degree. And so I'm, my last name's Angel. So typically in these exercises, I'm always first and like ready to go. And so I had everybody before me go and every single one of them wanted to be a marriage and family therapist. Mm. And so by the time it got to me, I was like, wow, from a business perspective, this seems like a really saturated (laughs) market. And so he called my name and I'm like, I'm here. And he goes, what do you want to do with your psychology degree? And I said, well, I thought I was going to be a marriage and family therapist, but it turns out that everybody else had the same plan. So now I don't know what I'm going to do. And he goes, and this is exactly who I did this exercise for. This class is going to tell you how to use psychology in a business setting, in a courtroom, as a consultant. And my eyes just immediately lit up because, you know, I have that masculine mind where I'm like, oh, yeah, how can I apply this to all the things in the world and solve all the problems and make all the money? (laughs) And uh, ended up doing research with him and really got into sales. And that's where I spent like nine years of my life after college was in medical sales. And then through that whole process, just really started getting back into helping people with their health. I'd go into these clinics to stock their arm slings at the hospital. And next thing you know, I'm talking to Carol about her health issues and her relationship (laughs) with her husband and her kid and how he's not present and how he's failing his math class and stuff. So I was always kind of working on people behind the scenes. And then it wasn't until the pandemic hit where the culture in the hospitals just completely changed. And I just saw it as an opportunity to just like really dive in. And so, yeah, so a long story short is like the relationship work and what I do with people and like their health is like the relationship is one of the key things that I work with the people because if you think about where the health issues come from, it's either the food that's coming in, what they're consuming in their mind or who they're surrounding themselves with. And I think the latter is probably the most important. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I'm, I'm geeking because you said Carol and that's my mom's name. <laughs> I was thinking about that. And <laughs> um, you've also learned a lot of this through your own relationship experiences. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Is that mm-hmm. why it speaks so, so much to you? At least that's why it does. This work appeals so much to me through my yeah. own relationship experiences. Oh yeah. Everything I'm talking about on social media and that I'm an expert in, I've gone through myself digestive issues, skin issues, and relationship stuff. And so from a very early age, I was the kid that people would go to if they had problems with their girlfriend or problems with their boyfriend. And so like, I would just always be the listening ear that always could figure out like, well, do you see that when he was actually doing this, that he was trying to get your attention because he didn't feel like his needs were met in this situation. And so like, I, that just comes really natural to me. So I think I would have naturally gotten into this type of work regardless, 
but I've had some very challenging experiences in relationship period that have like helped me develop these skills just from like being in, in a relationship. And so thankfully from all that work, it's really paid off because I'm in like the healthiest relationship I've ever been in in my life now. So I think that's just kind of a result of the attunement and like the things that I've learned in the previous relationships that have helped shape me into be such a good listener and not a fixer and not uh, projecting all of my trauma onto them and <laughs> holding good space for us to work through our stuff together. So I was going to say that, like, I feel in the moment, sometimes we can be a little blinded. So how do you know that this is the healthiest? Like, what are some examples of like, not obviously you don't have to get super deep into your relationship, but what makes it feel the healthiest? That's a good question. I feel safe. Mm. Um, I'd say that's like my nervous system feels safe around this person, even in conflict, because no relationship is immune from disagreement and conflict and challenge. And so um, I think the biggest one is that I just feel safe to be who I am. And I in past relationships, um, I've just never felt like I, I had to be someone. I had to be this hyper-masculine man. I'm typically more like a feminine man. And so like, I just felt insecure to be who I really was. Like, I, I like to take baths, you know what I mean? I love self-care. I like getting massages once a month, you know, like typical mans aren't talking about the things that I'm talking about or interested in things that I'm interested in. And so I always felt insecure about that. And I think a good sign of being in a good relationship is to be exactly who you are and have that person really just love and accept the good things and the bad things about you. And so, yeah, stuff comes up about me that I, I get triggered by and I just, I can see my trigger is a sign of an unhealed part of myself. And then I can separate myself from that in the disagreement when she says something about what I did last weekend that kind of bothered her. I immediately feel that wounded part of myself get triggered of like, well, I was doing this to help. And I was like, stop. And so I just listen and hold space. because I know this is just a process. I know that she loves me and I love her. And ultimately we're just not seeing eye to eye on something. And the main opportunity here is to like learn something about myself so that I can be a better partner and a better person. And so just that acknowledgement and just like being really selfless in these relationships and like, <laughs> knowing that your ego is going to get hurt, I think is the biggest part, you know, and like welcoming that in. Um, and so, yeah, to answer your question, I think the biggest sign for me that I'm in a healthy relationship is that I can be myself and that my partner challenges me to be a better person. Mm. So well said. Congrats, by the way. Really happy you. for you. Thank you. Yeah. And you said, um, being yourself and being loved and accepted by your partner um, I feel like that also takes an acceptance of who you are, like from you and accepting all the parts of you, not just the good, you know, can you walk us through like what that process looks like? Yeah, you have to know yourself. Uh, first of all, I think I've spent lots of time in between my relationships. I haven't been like a serial dater at all. Like I've usually just like gone in in a commitment and then like I spent like two years of celibacy. And so like in those two years, I've developed a lot of understanding about my patterns and relationship, who I am. And so I've got a pretty good understanding of who I am. And I like myself a lot. You know, I really like my little neuroses and my idiosyncrasies. And I really come to develop a liking for myself and can spend time with myself and really appreciate it. So um, I can detect when someone comes in, whether friend or uh, partner, 
when they make me feel less like myself. And so I can feel that and then just kind of keep that out. And so just to get even more personal, I literally had a conflict uh, with my partner last weekend. And, you know, I still work through some health issues in my body, meaning like I take really good care of myself to prevent these symptoms, digestive symptoms, and just like nervous system sleep. I, I, I just have to now. I've just yeah. become so used to a standard of living that like, that was kind of confronting to her because she's on that journey, but that hasn't been like the focal point of her journey. And so what I've welcomed her in and what it's brought out in her of like not drinking so often, it's like not something that even bothers me at all to not drink, but to her, this is kind of new for her to like not drink or like, what's it going to be like when I introduce them to my parents and what's that going to be like when we go to Mexico on this wedding? Like, are you going to drink? Are you going to be bothered by the way that my friends live? So all this stuff naturally comes up. And so I think in previous iterations of myself and relationship, I would have took that on personally as something that I needed to change about myself. Mm. But I actually love that part of myself now. You know, I used to get really confronted with that with old friends. And I just made a post about this recently. It's like, surround yourself with people that really inspire you to be healthy because these unhealthy people can really bring you into like a false representation of yourself. Like I remember sitting at a restaurant going gluten-free for the first time around my old high school friends. And I was like, Hey, can I get that gluten-free? And then my buddy laughed and he's like, well, can you put his gluten on my pizza? And then the waitress laughs and they all laugh. And then I immediately started questioning myself. And so I think now I've just like surrounded myself with so many people and partner included that like really love that about myself. And like, I don't have to get teased about taking baths. It's just like Michael just takes baths. That's what we do. That's what he does, you know? And um, so I think spending time with yourself and getting to know yourself first before you get into relationships would be my best advice to make sure that you don't lose yourself when you get into relationships. Love that. Mm -hmm. Yeah. What you said about like, you like the little quirks or the little things that you do now where previously I'm assuming you might have judged yourself a little bit for those little things here and there but now that you love them like another person can be invited to love them too instead of feeling like oh I want to like hide this part of me because I'm self-conscious about it if I'm not self-conscious about it then either you accept me or you don't and ideally your partner loves it too about you so well, yeah, before you, you ask another question real quick, just to comment on that. So to complete that conflict that I talked about where she was basically like, yeah, I kind of just have a concern about how healthy, health conscious you are. It's a, just confronting to me. And when any relationship, you want to welcome in that criticism because I'm like, well, shit, let me look at that. Honestly, look at it for myself, not because of you, but you provoke that in me. It's like, am I being a little too crazy with my health? Like, would it be nice for me to have a glass of wine every once in a while, you know? And so like welcoming in some healthy criticism is really important. And ultimately just like talking negatively about my health sometimes, like when I go out into like Target or something with her to go grab something and all of a sudden I just like smell all the synthetic fragrances and all the hard of it. And the way I talk about that is negative. And mm. so like, right, I can, I can work on that. Yes, I can block out this as much as possible and like keep myself in this nice little healthy bubble and community, but you have to go out into the world. And I think what she was helping me see is that the way I think about it can change and be more positive. Wow. I so admire that. 
Hmm. Like that, you just reflected that back to me because I totally talk about shit like that with people in my life who aren't in this bubble that we're in. And it doesn't make so much sense to them, which, which makes sense because they're not in this space, but also I can definitely shift some of my verbiage around said topic. So that is more inviting instead of like, whoa, (laughs) that is a supercharged topic. Don't really want to go there. I can definitely see how my own energy is preventing them from even being interested. Yeah. That and some of these people that are wearing toxic perfumes and stuff, they don't get the health issues that we get. You know, some of the health issues that we get are as a result of knowing how (laughs) damaging these things are. Exactly. Exactly. That's, I think I've been traveling full time and, and sometimes I stay at different people's houses um, because I pet sit in between, like if I have to get my own accommodation and sometimes they have Dawn and like, that's my option. And originally I brought, I had like a big bottle of Dr. Bronner's, which I have with me because I have my car now. But when I just had my suitcase, I was thinking to myself, okay, this is really an opportunity to go past what I would have read, what I probably typically would do is go to the store and get my own. I'm only going to be here for two days. Can I use Dawn for two days and not die? Yes, I can. (laughs) And it's fine. And I feel like I'm still here. I made it. (laughs) And I think letting go of having to be like so particular, I actually feel better than I have in years. Um, so I love that you bring that up, especially when it relates to partnership. Oh, and it relates to food. It relates to so many things. It's like, once you get healthy, you start like, oh my God, do I need to be carnivore now? Am I keto? (laughs) What am I, you know? And it's like everything. And next thing you know, you're brushing your teeth. Like your toothpaste is bullshit. You know what I mean? It's like, wow, oh my God, my tooth, everything is toxic, you know? And so when like, yeah, if you're always looking for like a hammer, it's a nail or whatever that saying is, but yeah, I just always feel like the deeper I go into this rabbit hole of like health and wellness, like kind of the more health challenges I've had. And so, yeah, I, I studied the mind more than anybody. I've looked into my own mind many, many times deeply and I'm like, got it. How many of my health concerns and health issues are a result of the way that I'm thinking and my self-made. Yeah. Self-made. Manufactured. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. I think it's often people like us who are so intrigued, who are so curious, you know, mm-hmm. there's, there's, um, a reason for it. It makes so much sense. And I'm, I'm really happy to have that within me. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's often us who often feel sicker before we get better. Yeah. It's a big responsibility that you haven't learned how to hold yet. You know, you learn that glyphosate is in the rainwater and you're like, wait, hold the, hold the phone. What? 70% <laughs> of rainfall has glyphosate in it. And it's like that, that's anxiety provoking. And then you yeah. start learning about water and tap water and you start learning about our food supply. And it's like, Everything. That takes some, some time to be able to learn how to hold all of these things and try and find ways to just like do your best and operate in a world that still is not even remotely close to operating at their best. You know, it's like, how do you manage to like live in a world and still be happy and joyful, realizing that there are people that smoke cigarettes into their nineties and still live happy, healthy lives. And it's like, well, how did that person do that? You know, it's like, this guy's just always joyful smoking his cigarettes. But you're over here eating a kale salad, crying. You know what I mean? It's like, 
Oh, that's going to kill you much faster. <laughs> oh my God. Yeah. It, it is so true. It is so true. So thanks yeah. for sharing and that. Also something that I've really, since I moved to Nevada city, so context, I lived in Sacramento for nine years of my life and 5g everywhere cell phones just like yeah so much energy and i didn't realize until i actually started spending time up here in nevada city which is like this like small hippie town in the middle of a forest really rural they don't even allow like traditional restaurants to come everything is like a local business it's really awesome but i started noticing that my nervous system would just like settle down a little bit it was like a level of silence that i didn't fully understand and hadn't felt in like nine years. There's just like mm -hmm. a buzzing when you live in a city in like a suburb that you just get accustomed to. Right. And I just realized that like, oh, got it. My health feels so much better when I'm up here. Like even the drive up there, as soon as you get past where they have billboards and stuff, you're constantly digesting stuff through your sensory organs all the time. It's just like the way the cities are designed. They kind of prey off of the attention of people. And so when I came up here, I would just start spending time at the Uber River and just like really started to heal that way. And then I was like, well, I'm not just going to spend my weekends here. I'm going to go all in. And so I just started like manifesting an opportunity to live here. And then like a friend came to me out of nowhere, seemingly, and was like, hey, I got this awesome situation, this amazing house. And Kiara has seen it all over my Instagram. It's like perfect, perfect rental situation with the best roommates, super health conscious. It's amazing. And I bring all this up to say that like when I first moved up here, I would always ask the people that already lived here, I go, so who are the best acupuncturists? Who are the best healers and chiropractors? I just wanted to know, you know, like I'm sure there's great healers here. And every single one would be like the Yuba River, the mm. forest, nature mm. walks down by Deer Creek. And I'm like, that's not, I, I know you're being all woo woo right now, but like, seriously, is it like, who's the chiropractor? And I really <laughs> realized that like, that was the truest thing that they could have said. And like, just finding time, even if you do live in a city, you can't uproot your life. Like the most healing thing isn't often what we put on our plate. It's who is at the table. It's what we do in our weekends when we go out into nature and we spend time and we get out and hike. It's when's the last time you danced yeah. like freely in your body? Yeah. Like, I've gotten chills all over my body from just hearing a really good song and dancing in the kitchens with my roommate. Like, the oxytocin, the whatever that is, that is the healing, right? Okay. And so we can get hyper-focused on like macros and ketogenic diets and what supplements and cod liver oil, and these all play a part, but I'm telling you, it's not where I start with people. It's like, how can I get you to feel free in your body and your mind first? And then we can start talking about electrolytes and putting trace minerals in your water. Yeah, that's when it really works, right? Yeah. Like when yeah. you have the space in your body for the supplements, for all of those things to integrate and just boost what is already there. Agreed. Yeah. And what you said earlier really rang true for me. Gabby and I always talk about like having people in your close circle who are not even exactly like you, like you, but support you, see you, witness you, want to be around you, get you it makes such a big difference on getting to where you want to go. I think that we get to those places through interdependence, mm -hmm. not independence, not being dependent on anyone, but being in relationship is what's healing with mm -hmm. the world, with others, with nature. 
And so I really do admire the community. I see you on stories all the time. Well, I haven't been on social media for a while, but um, when I was, I would I'd be like, dang, that's so cool that you have that like in-person connection. Like it just, it makes the biggest difference in our health. I was telling Gabby, um, going back to relationships, I was telling her yesterday how I placed all of my um, needs as a human being into my partner because I didn't have community hmm. years ago. And yeah. so what a burden for him to carry. And this is all subconscious, but Gabby brought up a very good point that it is a survival mechanism for me to do that. And so I don't have to necessarily feel guilty about it anymore, but I placed that burden on him because I physiologically, my physiology needed that connection. And it was impossible for him to meet, obviously, all of those needs that I could have been getting and am now getting through friendship for from sisterhood, especially as a feminine being. Mm-hmm. Yeah, uh, I would even change the word from survival to just an adaptation, you know, just like switching the language a little bit, just like mm-hmm. to make it a little bit more um, positive and affirming. It's like, yeah, you just kind of adapted to not having these friends in your network. And so you just like, okay, well, this human being could provide all that for me, right? And yeah. so you try and like <laughs> talk to him about girl stuff. And he's just like, babe, I just can't do that for you, you know? And we just had a new roommate come in and she's the first female roommate that's been in this space. And yeah, she's like immediately trying to do female things with me. And I'm just like, I can meet that more than most men, but I can tell it she just needs a woman. And so my partner came up last weekend and immediately I could just feel like they're just bonding and hitting it off. And then it puts so much freedom, like, oh, God, I don't have to entertain my partner. Like I can go and do my own thing with Isaac and we can like go ahead. So we all need community more than anything. And I think it's what most people are deprived in these days. And I think there's a variety of factors that, you know, kind of influence that. But I think the biggest priority is to find people that are health conscious or just kind of align with your way of living. They don't have to just be like you. In fact, you don't want them to just be like you. Uh, you know, like you need somebody who's going to be like the more social butterfly and bring everybody together, but you need the other person that makes a really good casserole and like everybody kind of plays their own role. And I think that like maybe our parents had that figured out and we kind of lost touch of that with this generation. And um, yeah, I just remember my parents always having block parties and dinner parties and stuff like that. And so, yeah. yeah, and I think we just kind of like lost touch of that as adults. And I think we actually have to put the effort out there to make that happen because we all have busy lives. We all have it. And equally, I'm like, oh crap, we're not doing anything Saturday night perfect potluck on Saturday night. I'm around the crew. You know what I mean? And so I just immediately, I'm like, when can I fill that time up with my tribe and with my community? I wish I lived near you. Yeah. <laughs> Where's the application? Bro? I know. Yeah. <laughs> oh man. So you keep touching on how you have access, easy access to this feminine part of you. Of course, we all, you know, it's, it's non-binary. Like we each have the feminine masculine poles within us. Um, how has that served you in relationship, not only with your partner, but like with the world, with your friends? Um, I would say, and I was talking about this with my friend Anna yesterday and healing is like a feminine energy. Um, mm. So very nurturing, like to do this work, you have to embody feminine qualities to be able to just like hold space for people and to like comfort them through their crises. 
And so, yeah, that's really served me in my work that I do. I would say most of my clients are female and then the male clients that come to me like need nurturing. And also like I can tap into my masculine and be like, yeah, you just need to give up the Kratom, man. I think you're just like really addicted to this. You know what I mean? It's like kind of being hard on them. Like you're just babying yourself at this point. Like we need to get shit done kind of. And so I think I have the ability to oscillate between two of those things. And I, I do see that that's helped me be able to tend and care for people. But I, just like everybody, have the tendency to immediately go back into my mind and be super analytical and try and fix everybody's problems. So I'm not completely immune to that. That masculine side of me still exists. Um, and so I just find ways on a daily basis to get into my heart. And that's kind of where I feel in this polarity of energies that we're talking about is the difference. When I'm in my mind, it feels more masculine and more heady and I'm like getting stuff done. And then when I'm in my heart, it's like, oh my God, I got to call my mom. It's been too long. I miss my mom, you know, like, and so things that help me kind of tap into that is number one, music. Music for sure is the first thing that I do when I need to get out of my head. It immediately starts like pulling me into my heart. There's specific playlists. I have lots of them on Spotify that you can follow me. Like I literally make music for the heart. It's like called heart medicine. And so having certain playlists and certain uh, techniques and tools to get you there because we live in a super cerebral society. And so it takes kind of an act of will for some people to actually like get into their heart. And so, yeah, I like to walk people through that. And one of the greatest compliments I routinely get from clients and just people in mind is like, man, I never cry. But every time we get on a call, I just, you know, and it's just like, they're crying. And I'm like, well, what a great gift, you know, like so many people have so much tension in their head. And if you look at where the tears come out of, it literally comes out of the eye sockets. And I see people that have way too much anxiety they just need to cry. They need to release that energy. They need to like clear it from the throat. They need to clear it out of the eyes. We have these drainage portals in our body, these drainage pathways in our body and emotional stuff needs to get cleared out from the mind through crying, through auditory, through exhaling, through talking it. And so, yeah, I I feel like being able to be in your heart allows you to ask the right questions and hold the right space for that stuff to come out. Because I just think in our modern day society, too many people are just stuck in their head and don't spend enough time in their heart. And we need both. And I just think that you need to balance the two. Yeah, we need both. Love that you said that. And I love what you said about energy just being released. And that's all it is. Mm -hmm. Emotion is just energy. Energy and motion. That's what it is, that emotion. And one thing that I'll point out that I see a lot of people, myself including, doing is they try and label what that is. They got this tension behind their head and they immediately are like, it's a brain tumor. They pathologize it. And that makes so much sense because there's like this fear of like, oh no, like freak out because we don't trust ourselves. We don't have trust within our bodies. We don't have that internal sense of safety. So it makes sense. I get it. But yeah. And we don't always have to know. Yeah. We don't always need the answer of what our body needs to release. Like we can just allow the release and not have to deep dive and journal about it and like figure out what that was and all of that. (laughs) And that can bring so much ease to like, okay, I just need to cry and let's like hold space for that and then move on. And as a man, I feel that it's really beautiful to allow yourself to do that because I know in a previous partnership of mine 
I was speaking about how crying is a release and it, I feel good after. And he was speaking about how it doesn't feel good after. It just makes him feel worse. And mm-hmm. that makes me think, okay, you've, you've maybe never been held then as you've been crying in like mm-hmm. a safe space. You've never received the intimacy, not physically necessarily, but just the intimacy of allowing somebody to see you and also not being shamed for that crying, um, especially as a man. And I want every man to experience what it feels like to not be shamed while they're crying. And it sounds like the community that you're in would really foster that, I'm assuming. (laughs) And that contributes to the physical healing um, instead of starting with the minerals and starting with the food and the glyphosate that um that's really the direction that Kiara and I like that's what we're so interested in as well oh yeah um, I've seen the complete rebranding you know it's like <laughs> from talking about I'm like did you guys publicly talk about this because like you just quietly all of a sudden got all spiritual and I'm like oh, okay I see what's happening here they're going through a little bit of a rebranding and an awakening and mm-hmm. yeah I mean we always need to be constantly shifting and changing and um you know, just uh, speak about like Matt Blackburn's changing of opinions and stuff. Like he gets a lot of criticism for changing his opinion on things, but like, yeah, holding people rigid to who they've always been because of what they've said is really, really damaging. It keeps people from growing. And same with the labels that we put on ourselves. Like literally some people's Instagram handles are like vegan goddess or whatever. And I'm like, whoa, like (laughs) that's amazing that your identity is your diet. That's fascinating. You know? So that those those labels and the labeling of the conditions and the pathologies or like your specific opinion about a diet it's like those things are always changing they're changing with the season they're changing with your life and that's why i've really adopted a lot of ayurvedic um, knowledge and lifestyles is because they're all about that they have 10,000 years of studying nature and human beings and so like really relying on that and yes there are some modern recent man-made problems that require some recent new findings and solutions and things but man ayurveda has been really helpful and healing for me because it it ties like the individuality and the bio-individuality of your own innate qualities and how they change with the season and so like weaving that into my practice was like really confronting and challenging because it had to like really push up against functional medicine and my approach um, of like helping people heal with functional medicine. And I was like, oh, got it. Like, how do I find space for this? And I rejected it at first. I rejected the new way of living and the Ayurvedic way of living. We talked about this in my previous podcast when I met a partner who was like rubbing stinky medicated oils all over my body. <laughs> Spoiler alert, if you've been following me recently, I do it nightly now, you know? Abhyanga. Abhyanga. <laughs> Yeah. So like the thing that I like needed the most was what I was resisting because it was coming up with confronting this identity that I had created around, okay, I got this whole thing, health thing figured out. Mm. People need spore-based probiotics. They need digest, like this is it, you know? And then all of a sudden this woman comes into my life and it's like, oh yeah, you don't know about the Vata Dosha and the Pitta. Okay. Well, here's these. And I just like was not ready to receive that because it was going to confront and challenge what I thought I already knew. So 
I think just remaining open and free in your thinking and your mind that when you get confronted with a new challenging idea, just to like remain flexible, you don't have to take everything in, but you don't have to block everything out. I think things come into our experience for a purpose and a reason. And like, it's always being open to like changing your opinion and adapting because you're no longer the pro metabolic queen. You're now this like embodied goddess breathwork facilitator, like, <laughs> you know, so people need that. People need exactly what you're going through. Uh, thank you, Michael. Um, yeah, I, I just agree with everything that you just said. I am so curious because I think we were talking not too long ago about, you know, what we were going to discuss on this episode and um, the the masculine, I feel like, and you brought up like a healthy masculine, not having mm-hmm. that um, as a woman and how that can impact our physiology. Um, and you mentioned that you were like, you're talking the most feminine man. And Mm. I laughed because I was like, I don't see you that way at all. Like I see this masculine, like right now, like this masculine man. And if that's been hard to access for you or challenging to embody, what are some sort of practices or what are some things that you've done to kind of build that relationship with the healthy masculine in your body? The first thing that comes to my mind is chopping wood. (laughs) Uh, there you go it sounds really funny like a lot of these things that I like kind of post about like building a fire chopping wood stacking wood doing all these types of things like that was not how I was raised I was Mm. raised in a pretty white suburb where like my parents pretty much did everything for me I didn't know how to do my own laundry until I went away to college god bless my mother she's amazing but she wanted to make sure that I never had to like lift a finger because she had to lift all of her fingers all of the time and so it was just like a massive you know, overcompensation by her part with so much love, but it really just like, you know, disempowered me to develop these skills and techniques. And so, yeah, I think that's been really helpful since I've moved here, just doing hard stuff has been really helpful and healing. Um, Yeah. And honestly, like I'm playing around with these masculine feminine dynamics all the time in relationship and in partnership. And I just personally feel like everybody can do it the way they want to do it. But how I see it for myself is is I really want to be a provider. I want to make good money so that my partner can just completely relax, work on her art stuff and her creative passions and not have to worry about the pressures of performing and needing to like make income and provide stability. That just comes really natural to me. You know what I mean? Even if I'm a more feminine embodied man, I'm like, oh my gosh, I'm always like driving and striving to like create new things and like get everybody together. Like that's my, my thing. And I think that's a very masculine quality that I haven't always like labeled or deemed as masculine. So Mm. you're not the only one that's like commenting on the fact that like, oh, you, you think you're a feminine man. And I'm like, I guess just because I like baths and self-care and I take really good care of my body and I'm a cancer. So I'm like always in water (laughs) and like, you know, I'm crying a lot, you know, and like, I can just easily access like my heart and my emotions and I can admit my faults and just like immediately repair things. And like that, I think that's the toxic side of masculine that is missing in masculinity is like their ability to like soften in times. And so I think I've just kind of had a misunderstanding of what a masculine man was. And I think we all have, (laughs) and I think we're all just kind of rediscovering what that is. Mm. Thank you. It definitely for... feels like there's an awakening. Yeah. 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 That, yeah. And it's not really being broadcasted 
I love how it is kind of on social media though, mm-hmm. at least not in the mainstream world. Yeah. And mm-hmm. I honestly think it's a, a co-created process with the feminine. You know, I, there's so much wounding around uh, men for women. And I, I see that there's like an addiction to that story for some women. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I follow some women and like, they're just like posting hateful stuff about men. And I'm like, all that screams to me is that you have unhealed wounds with men. Yeah. And great. That's cool. But I just don't think broadcasting it out that way is is forming the solution. Mm-hmm. You know, it's like forgiving and like a lot and trusting and like, that's where you really start calling in men that are healed and like, want to do this work. And so I just think that you're going to continue to manifest um, the, those types of men, unhealed men until you like heal your relationship with them. And there are so many amazing female um, examples that live in Nevada city. And it's like, really helped shape my masculine in like a rapid period of time. Like you go to an ecstatic dance. And for those who don't know, an ecstatic dance is like this amazing container where you can't talk, you can't wear shoes. And there's a new DJ every week. And they curate these like tribal beats and instrumentals that like really help foster amazing dance and primal movement in the body. Um, But the no talking element is so vital and important because so much of the time we want to like talk with our face all the time. Right. And we're just like never in our bodies. So to not have access to that, where it's not even permittable, um, has really helped me learn quite a bit about the feminine and like how sensitive they are to energy and how sensitive men can become when they develop this attunement to the energy of subtle energy and body language and things. And so like, you can tell when a woman wants you to dance around her, you can tell when she doesn't want you to dance around her. You can tell when like, there's so much learning that happens non-verbal. It's like 70 to 80% of our communication is not even happening with our mouth. Mm -hmm. Right. And so putting yourself into these containers can be really helpful where you're just not talking through things all the time. Like there's certain things that you can just develop and learn and attune to through subtle energy. And so aesthetic dance is something that I host in Sacramento. And it's something that I've been going to for the last three years because it's such a potent developer of this subtle energy attunement to where I can tell when my partner is off and I have said something that's bothered her. And I don't need to swoop in and intellectually help her figure it out. Like I can create the space with my energy to help her feel safe enough for it to come out. And then when she starts talking about it, she's like, so I have something to say. And I go, yeah, I know. And she's like, what? And I'm like, yeah, I've, I've known for the last three hours, but I just knew and I trust that like when it's ready to come out, it'll come out. And I feel like men haven't developed that in, them, in themselves to be able to detect that. And I feel like it's really helpful for women because they're not super cerebral all the time and they don't feel good in their body with men who are always trying to figure it out with their minds. Yeah. Or That's they so do. cool. Yeah. <laughs> Go ahead, Gabby. I was just going to say, it's so cool because the ecstatic dance, it seems like that has translated into building healthier relationships, especially in the masculine and feminine. I actually just had a, a male friend ask me recently, is it weird for a man to approach a woman, say in a grocery store, because is, is that intending to say that the only thing that made me approach you was the way that you look? And my response to that is that 
not every woman is like this, but women in their feminine want to be approached. They want to be opened and that's okay if a physical attraction, because there's also energy there. Like you're feeling the energy of this person that you want to approach. It's not just what they look like. It's also their energy that helps you feel open to approach them. But not all women are like that. Some women do get offended if a man is to walk up to them or they'll say it's weird or awkward or something. And that's when you know, okay, she either she, maybe she's not interested, but also maybe she just doesn't have that feminine side of her opened in order to attune to his energy. Um, So it's so cool. I just put those pieces together that that ecstatic dance kind of, it leads into your relationships in general and what you're open to. Yeah. I mean, the partner I'm with right now and the previous one I met at a static dance. It's like <laughs> the, it's like the <laughs> most vulnerable place you can go. You know, it's like, you really can't hide behind how you move in your body to music. You just I've can't. always wanted to go to one and yeah. well, not always, I want to say within the past couple of years, but I have not been able to find one in my area. So I, I feel like it's more like a, a West Coast thing. So one of the things that I'm working on, and I really want to touch on what you talked about, Gabby, because I think there's a lot of healing that needs to get done and like dating and relationship and approaching women and I'll get there. And then one of my biggest goals for this next year is to start hosting bigger retreats. I've been doing these like mini gatherings with like 20, 23 people like on my property, but I want places that are accessible to all people and doing a static dance and doing breath work and doing embodiment practices and stuff. Cause like, that's like my gift to the world is to be able to connect all these people together. So stay tuned. It's coming. <laughs> there we and go. Then, <laughs> and then this whole thing about approaching, like, I mean, I've only been in partnership for, you know, maybe four or five months. And I know what it's like very recently to be in dating and to see an attractive woman in the grocery store And yeah, being able to detect the subtle energies is like really vital and important to know, like, is she even emotionally available? You Mm -hmm. can tell, you can tell, but you go into the city or you go in places where there's just so many more people and there's a lot of unhealed energies between people and they're like really disconnected. Um, Yeah, you can like totally misrepresent that, misunderstand that as like, she's not emotionally available, but actually she's probably just like really scared and like doesn't want to be approached by a man. And like the aspect is like really awkward and uncomfortable. I'm like, oh, you just don't even feel comfortable enough to be surrendered to by the masculine and to be penetrated by the masculine energetically. She's not even available for that. And I see that less likely here in small towns. I think there's like a whole small town rural effect and the larger the city gets, the more disconnected some people feel and the more like on edge and alert that they are, I've noticed. And so in this small town, people are way more open and available. Um, so that's just something that I've noticed. And then I think that there just needs to be a complete healing with the feminine and the masculine and we're seeing it now, but literally like the feminine movement made men terrified of being able to be a man. And that question that your friend asked is coming from that fear of like, hey, I really love women. I'm not like one of these misogynists that like hates women, but I feel terrified to approach them because they're putting off this energy like they hate men. And it's like, there's this collective healing that needs to happen where like, we appreciate men, good men, you know, and I just feel like men are like really suffering from these issues of like feeling like 
God, I have to walk on eggshells around women because if I say one wrong thing, like all hell's going to break loose and I'm like a terrible man. And um, I think that's how we learn is for women to hold men accountable and for men to hold women accountable. And I feel like men are less likely to assert type of opinions about women that are not really exhibiting good qualities because they're terrified of being labeled a toxic man. And so I think we needed to have the pendulum swing in that direction where feminine like really like took the dominant role. But women like are like, whoa, I got the football now. I don't want to, I don't know what to do with this. You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you take it back. You know, I don't want this yeah, thing. Take you know? it back. <laughs> and so yeah, we're we're learning how to take it back. But there's still some wounding around that. So like being really gentle about how you approach and I think is really important. I once saw a social media post about um, actually being ready for the masculine as a feminine being, because mm -hmm. I think Gabby and I can both agree that when we say that we, we want and desire a masculine man to hold us, to care for us, to, so that we can settle and so we can feel safe. And I feel like what comes with that territory is a man who can see you mm -hmm. and can see all of your bullshit. And all, or not, not bullshit, but like all the stuff that's still there. Are you actually ready for that? So I love how you're bringing up this concept of like co-creating that environment together. And are you actually ready to do the work so that you can be more in your feminine and being in your masculine when necessary? Oh my gosh. This is why it's so vitally important for women to have strong, healthy relationships with other women yeah. and for men to have strong relationships with healthy men. Because me and my roommate, Isaac, are like best friends and mm -hmm. we're both in partnership and our partners will be women. They're just women, you know, and they're wild and they get emotional and they start questioning your devotion to them. And it's all intelligently designed to continue to like re-inspire that devotion, to re-inspire the commitment. Like you guys are testing all aspects of us all of the time and it's by design. And to not have a male outlet to vent some of that stuff out to, then you're just going to bring it into the relationship. And same with women, like women need to just like vent about certain things that women will only understand. And so not having female friends or male friends like really hinders the relationship because like there's so many times where me and my partner will have gotten into a long discussion and I'm like, oh my gosh, she's crazy you know like <laughs> and that's what I'm thinking in my head I'm like oh my gosh like I, I totally love her and she's amazing and yet she's like questioning that and then same exact conversation is happening with Isaac and then we get to like share how this is like our duty and responsibility and this is our testing for devote and we get to learn from it from each other and like get to vent it out so that we can just show up completely for you guys and I just see, I've noticed in my past relationships, some of the people that when they don't have a solid friend network of female friends, then you become their female partner, which destroys the polarity Yeah. and you're their buddy. And then you guys aren't having sex anymore. And you guys, all that starts to fade away. So yeah, we need to have friends and friendships to be able to vent things about our relationships so that we can show up because here's the deal. I don't want to have sex with Isaac. Okay. <laughs> I don't. 
I just want to have sex with my partner. I want to, I want to have babies with her. Like there's something Mm -hmm. unique about her that I've chosen her to do. Now, granted, it's going to overlap and she's going to be my friend, but using my friends to kind of offload some of that stuff so that I'm not like farting in front of her and doing all these things that feel really comfortable in the moment, but destroy polarity in it. I do. I'm laughing because we we talked about farting at our retreat this, this past summer. (laughs) Do you remember that conversation, Gabby? Like all the girls were like talking about their relationship to their partner and how some of them like, don't even, yeah, you don't fart in front of your partner. Mm -hmm. Um, and it's just interesting to see how everyone chooses to, to share that part of themselves with each other. But yeah. Oh my God. This conversation is lighting me up. Mm-hmm. I mean, it, it's everything that you're saying is like, wow. Everyone so a little caveat, it. definitely fart if you need to fart. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> like that but is all you have to do. Okay. So this is what I taught the girls is that all you have to do is like spread your butt cheeks a little bit. And then there's yeah. no noise. Yeah. There's no noise. And then you can do it all the time. It's yeah. great. I, yeah. I saw the same Instagram. And it keeps the intimacy. As long as your gut health is, as long as your gut health is on point and you don't have these, yeah. you know, crazy yeah. smelly situations, like, <laughs> you can yeah. do it secretly. <laughs> don't, don't hold on your farts. Like that will definitely lead don't to Don't let that issues. be a takeaway. <laughs> yeah. Excuse yourself if you must, but just follow the impulse to do what you need to do. Yeah. Um, oh man, I forgot yeah. what I was going to say. But... I, I think, I think the biggest part about the whole farting thing, just to bring that to a close is like, yes, I, I want to be able to, my partner to see and hold all sides of me, Yeah. but I, I also want to maintain and protect intimacy as much as possible because she's mm-hmm. the one that I'm choosing to share that with, you know? And so, yeah, it feels really nice to be able to just like have an off day in my body and still be loved and accepted by this person but also like when you are feeling that way sometimes it's nice to take a little space you know and like not have somebody around when you feel gross in yourself and just allow yourself to kind of be a blob every once in a while and I think that's really important I think I've smothered a lot of the flames in my relationship um, by just spending too much time together and always feeling like I needed to be and that just kind of feels like a little bit of like a trauma response of like oh if we don't spend all the time together then we're going to fall out of the relationship and fall out of love or she's going to find another person it's like there's, yeah there's there's you need absence from each other to develop stronger intimacy for sure I think that's what I saw growing up too so of course yeah. like my younger brain is kind of like oh this is what I'm supposed to be doing I'm supposed to be spending every waking moment with this person and yeah like you just said it destroys the intimacy and places so much burden on the relationship and that's just impossible to to meet 24 7 gosh exhausting but um last night I was going through something and it's crazy how I immediately felt the shift in my body once I called Gabby Mm. it like just what to echo what you just said like that female friendship it just and, and I have so many other girlfriends I can reach out to as well. And it just, it, it makes the biggest difference for our health, for our, our own well-being. because Gabby reflected back to me. She was like, you don't have to go through this alone. I, was like, mm. I love you. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. With, yeah. With men too, like yeah. being able to call and, and a lot of men struggle with 
I don't want to say struggle, but rage and having to suppress that and all of that. And it can be scary for a woman to witness that. And so like Yara calling me in an emotional moment is to also a man being able to call a man and like scream or something and like get that out with him and then come to me. So I don't have to witness that. I want you to do it, but I don't want to be the one that has to witness that rage all the time. And so, yeah, I love that Kira. I'm so glad you felt. Oh yeah. 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 I'm grateful that I have good guy friends and um yeah something that has been helpful for me on occasion is like even smoking ceremonial grade tobacco with mm-hmm. my guy friends I mean that is like a ritual that dates back to the millennia, right and we were venting after our arguments with our partners and we you know smoked a little bit of ceremonial grade tobacco and then we're sitting there and immediately it felt better and Isaac pointed out something. He's like, well, yeah, it's grandpapa. Like tobacco uh, is the grandfather spirit. And it's almost yeah. like the grandfather is the OG of men. Like he's like been around <laughs> so many female breakdowns. He's like, oh, brother, it's it's going to be all right. This is nothing. This is nothing. And immediately <laughs> like it grounded us. And like we got to have like a really healthy discourse about like our responsibilities as a man. It wasn't nagging and complaining about our women being women. It was just like, got it. Like, God, after everything that we did, how we showed up that weekend, like still it wasn't good enough. And like not meeting that with like, woe is me, but like, got it. Like, this is an opportunity to do better. And then it's like, but man, this shit is hard, dude. I'm like, I know, (laughs) I know it's so hard. And like being able to just reflect on the hardships of being a man with another man is like super healing and. Yeah, bringing in some elements from nature and tobacco have been like really helpful um, to kind of like get some inspiration and some guidance from the plant medicine world. That's beautiful. Beautiful. And it's funny because we've been doing it. Cigar rooms and stuff. Men have been like gathering and smoking tobacco for years. And Mm -hmm. I think the thing that's missing is probably the intention and the quality and all that kind of stuff. Like definitely like don't use it all the time but like to just like have a nice gathering where the girls are sitting by the fire talking Mm. about women's stuff and drinking their homemade little mead and then all of a sudden the guys go out (laughs) in the backyard and we're all smoking grandpapa and like having a a nice healthy discourse with men I mean I think we're designed to do that I just don't think we do enough of it I love that I love that so much Mm -hmm. oh well We're going to end it with one final question for you, Michael, since this is the body wisdom podcast. I'm so curious. What's the best wisdom you have received so far Mm, from my body? Mm. Mm. Um, I would say I've always been really, really sensitive. I've always had a sensitive body. Like the second, like somebody comes in and doesn't smell good. I'm like, well, immediately can feel that I can feel people when they're upset and stuff. And I think that's really helped forge my ability to be a great practitioner because I can really see what people can't see. Um, But it's really came at a cost of me like developing a lot of health issues and overcoming it in order to like understand how to heal it. Um, So I think my body has always been a vessel to like help things come through me, learn how to alchemize them and then be able to like share that with other people. 
And I think one of the, just acknowledging that that's kind of like what I incarnated and what my body is designed to do. And like, this is my purpose to be able to like take in these human experiences and to take in these things and then like learn how to work with it. I fought my body so much on that and I hated it for so long that it was so sensitive. And I just wished I had more tolerance to alcohol and certain substances. Like I take the smallest amount of any psychoactive substance and it's like immediate full-blown experience. And so I've always really hated that, but I also don't have to spend a lot of money on supplements. So that's also really nice. (laughs) But when I reshaped the way that I thought about that and like saw that as my gift, saw that I was probably the village shaman back in the day because I would know what plants did what and what things did what and like what ailments people were suffering from when they didn't have the attunement and awareness to do it. The second I shifted that, I created a whole career around it, you know, and I really started to embody it. And in times when I do have some sort of ailment that comes through my body, I'm like, oh, got it. This is just a new chapter and a new thing of learning. And I don't get like this debilitating woe is me type mentality and so yeah I really feel like the biggest thing that I've learned from being in a sensitive body is just to have so much compassion for people because when you can feel what other people are feeling to the depth of what I'm able to feel it in in my body you never want to hold judgment against somebody you never want to criticize somebody because it's like all of their actions are are valid and justified And like they're harboring, we're all harboring so much pain and discomfort in our bodies that we don't know how to release. And when I hear somebody is like going through some sort of challenge, my immediate reaction is like, oh man, I can't wait to help them heal it. Mm. And so I'm grateful for my sensitive body. It's been challenging as hell sometimes, but I think the biggest gift that I've learned from that is just to have compassion for people. Mm. Beautiful. I'm speechless. You are a gift, Michael, to this world. And I just feel so grateful to have you here and just be in communion here with you together, all three of us. So I appreciate you for being on the show. Thank you. Thank you. It's so healing to hear that from a man. I feel that way as a woman, but I, and I think that a lot more men probably are like you, but they, it's completely shut down. And for you to be able to recognize that and speak on it. um, Yeah, I hope that, I I know that I'm sure it is encouraging other men to tap into their own sensitive beings. And yeah. Definitely. Beautiful. Well, everyone, thank you so much for listening to the show. Until next week. Bye. Bye. We hope you enjoyed listening to the show. Again, if this resonated with you, please feel free to leave us a five-star review and rating as this helps us continue having wonderful guests such as Michael. If you're looking for a practitioner to work with, Michael is your guy. I often get questions about um, uh, men's health. And while Michael works with, I think, primarily a lot of women too, I think a lot of women feel safe with him. I also think he's a wonderful resource for men with him being a man. Um, So we'll put his links in the show notes for his Calendly calendar. So you can book a 20 minute free discovery call with him to learn more about his offerings. And we'll also put his website in the show notes, but it's michaelangelwellness.com. 
Kiara and I are releasing a course together called Body Basics, if you haven't heard. It's exactly how it sounds, foundations to your physical body and nervous system that we teach to every client. So it's everything we come back to time and time again when supporting ourselves and others. You'll find a waitlist link in the show notes to get access to the lowest price this course will ever be. So you'll want to sign up for that and you'll hear more from us soon. Thank you for listening. Until next week.